0: women trust that jesus is enough to meet every need and satisfy every heart praying you will be encouraged and strengthened through this message from the discipleship summit we're going to be in john 21 but before we start i just want to tell you this i fell in love with jesus when i was 13 and um, I had grown up in a Christian home as you all know <coughs> and um, and as and in my little 13 year old mind I found that I couldn't um, be all that um, I couldn't be all that it seemed I needed to be and as a 13 year old I um, I ran down the street and I said, if you can't do something for me, I, I can't do this. Whatever my family says, I can't do this. And I, I put it as bold a challenge as my 13-year-old mind could do. I said, "I said, if you don't do something for me in the next three years, I think i got to be done. I wasn't actually brave enough to say I was done because I knew my family. I knew my heart, he didn't show up for me. Not for them, but for me, that I couldn't do this. And... Um, I walked back into my house, and over the next three years, he made himself so real to me that it was as if um, it was as if we walked those those not every minute of those years, but he showed up regularly enough in those three years, thirteen to sixteen, that I knew that I knew he was real. And when I was 16, um, I realized all of a sudden it was the date of my challenge. And I was in Paris, France, and it was December 7th. And uh, it was, Kayveth uh, and I were sharing a little cot on the floor. So, but I flipped out of that little cot when I realized the date. And I knelt down, said, You answered me, and I'm all in. And that date for me has been. The start of the sweetest, not the start, the continuation of the most beautiful, sweet love. And um, I just I just felt this, you know, I thought, before I say anything else, I want to say with all my heart, and I'm all in. And um, that is our story from John 21 today. That is what I think Jesus is saying to us we've heard so many of these stories so often and we think oh he appears to these people and he appears to those people but would he ever really make himself known to me and um i love john 20 if you're part of the bible study you know you know i love john and i can't seem to get out of john so we're just going to end it up here but you know mary magdalene he um he appeared to mary magdalene he called her by name and, uh, and then he gave her this job to do, the most important job ever given to a human ever, right? That she was to go and tell he was alive. And what does she do? She goes, and she says, I've seen Jesus. And in the tenderness of Jesus, she says to him, and then she goes and tells. And then I love Jesus because her reputation hung on the fact whether or not he would show up, Right. If he didn't show up, or if he waited a week, or if he waited 10 days, if he didn't show up, it was her reputation, right, on the line. Oh, she's crazy. Oh, she saw something, right? And that very night, and those are the words, on that very night, evening of that day, the disciples are all gathered together, and Jesus shows up. And I love his concern for Mary, right, that he writes her into the story, and then he honors her right from the beginning. And he doesn't make he doesn't make her way or them way. He just shows up, and so then he shows up in the upper room and he says peace. And then of course Thomas isn't there, and um, so Thomas says, "I'm not believing unless and maybe Thomas, a little like me as a 13 year old, unless you unless I see you for myself, I'm not going to believe." And Jesus said, "That's okay, that's okay. I'll show that up. And to any heart that says I need to see you for myself." He says, I your, for you, I will keep showing back up. And um, it's so personal. He is so personal. And uh, it's not just what he's always done for every person. It's for your heart, individually, how he made you. Whether you're 13 or whether you're 83, Jesus says, I want to meet you face to face. And then Thomas shows up. And then what does Thomas do? He gives the proclamation, out of the mouth of the skeptic comes the proclamation, my Lord and my God. Not just Lord, not just God, but my Lord and my God. And that is the climax of the book of John. That is the statement. Jesus is not only the Son of God, he is God himself come in the flesh. He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And out of the mouth of the skeptics comes this declaration. And then John closes his book, and John says, um, "Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in His name." Don't you love that combination of something that happens in our in our intellect? Right? We believe. I think we see it. He's worked in our lives. And then all of a sudden our heart and our mind come together and life flows, right? Life, resurrection life. So it's interesting that the book doesn't end right there, right? Now I want to give us a little history of what's going on in the world, because in all these stories there are big things happening in the world. So I want us to take a step back before we get to 21. In 40 B.C., so 40 years before Jesus was born, Herod the Great did became became the emperor or or became um in charge of jerusalem and he built um herod's palace so it was the second temple so you you have solomon's temple and then it was destroyed and then you have the second temple under nehemiah ezra nehemiah and that second temple was very modest right it was it was just kind of the very basic and then herod the great comes along and says we're going to rebuild the temple and so he rebuilds it in all, an amazing glory, right? Amazing glory. Uh, probably not from the right motives, right? <laughs> it, it was not built as a place of worship. It was probably built more as a, a testimony to him, right, to his greatness. So, so he built it. So, the temple that Jesus went into was that temple, and um, that happened in 40 years, right? That happened in, in that was being built right? Uh, And then uh, Jesus was born. Um, And then around 33 AD, and it could be, you know, between 29 and 33 AD, Jesus is crucified. And that that happens. And then in 66 AD, you have um, the Roman Emperor Vespasian who becomes, and there is, no, um, I'm sorry, in 66, there's a Jewish revolt, Okay. The Jew and the Jews say we want freedom from the Romans. And Vespasian has become the emperor, and he begins to clamp down. And then they they put Jerusalem under siege. And then um, in 68, he says to his son Titus, "Destroy them. Destroy. You have carte blanche. Your job is to finish." And so Titus goes in, and um, and he breaches the walls, kills six. Hundred thousand Jews burned the temple, it burned for a month and the gold melted they said there were rivers of gold as the gold melted and uh, Judaism was never the same and it went from being centered in a place to then being centered in, in the rabbinic law, it all changed you have then, and then in 79, you have Nero So as soon as this, this, and then then you have really the empire begins to crumble and all kinds of things happen. So that is what is happening historically around the story of the resurrection. It's very, very interesting to me. John is the last gospel written, and we don't know exactly when it's written, but it's possible. But for sure, he writes as these events are unfolding. Whether he writes before the temple is destroyed, or whether he writes immediately after the world is crumbling and his world is crumbling. The Roman Empire is, is taking over and he is watching um, and he is watching all of this take place. So never, never was there a more, um, and so he writes this. So he writes his, he writes his, his gospel and he gives his witness, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God. And then at some point, this chapter, he comes back. It's almost like he's got the scroll. And I think what we think, Peter dies around 64 AD. So he gives his life around then as a martyr. And it seems like this last chapter is written after Peter dies because he makes reference to the death of Peter. Um, So there is this. It's almost like he Peter dies and John says I gotta write this last little story I gotta write this last little story and I love I love that he goes back and adds this in I think it's a beautiful example for us how do we live in time of war how do we live when the world falls apart what does it mean to encounter Jesus in these days and um, and so I want to read, and then I just want to say, I just want to say four things about this about this passage, but I'm gonna read the chapter, and I may stop and do a little, um, I may stop as we go a little bit. Um, John 21, verse 1. And after Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way: Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Now, I love the book of John. This is so funny to me, who he names and who he doesn't. Of course, Simon Peter is named, because this, this is an encounter between Jesus and Simon Peter. But Thomas and Nathaniel, and you know that, I love Nathaniel, right? He's the one at the beginning in chapter one. He says, I'm not going to believe nothing good comes out of there. And Andrew says, come on, come and see, come and see Jesus. And he sees him, and Jesus says, I saw you, and you're a good man. And that's all Nathaniel needed to say, I'm all in, right? (laughs) That's all he needed. And then Nathaniel, a little bit skeptical, and then all in, and then Thomas, the same way. I'm not, the same way. I think it's so interesting that those two are named and that those two are in this last story. I think it's intentional on John's part that Jesus wasn't going to miss those two. Then the sons of David, and then a couple of other ones that aren't named, and then Simon summons I'm going to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we're going to go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, children is really the word. Children, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. You're going to find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, "It's the Lord." Mm-hmm. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, "It is the Lord," he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, jumped into the water, and the other disciple followed in the boat. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. Their fish with fish with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, full of large fish, 150 green. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This is about the third hour Jesus appeared to his disciples. At, this was the, now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. I want to start by saying um, this, this story is really interesting to me because Jesus is reenacting some things that have happened before. Right. And there are really, I think, four things that he's reenacting, except he's reenacting as king of kings and lord of lords. He's reenacting with, it's like the fulfillment has come. And they had believed him, they had followed him, and now he's raised from the dead, death is conquered. They know there's some awe, like what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? And uh, I think there's there's this sense of now he's going to walk them through some of these things again to get them ready for what's going to come. And the first thing he's going to walk them through is the call. And so they're in the boat. Now, I love this because it's a time of uncertainty. And um, Peter says, I don't know what to do. We know Jesus is alive. We've seen him twice, but I don't know what to do. So I'm going to go fishing. So who's in? And I think that's kind of where a lot of us are. We don't know exactly what to do, right? We know Jesus is alive. We know he's at work. But these days are so stressful, we don't know exactly what to do. And I love that because in those moments of uncertainty, who shows up? In the very ordinary, normal events of everyday life, Doing what you did, they were probably trying to get food for their family, right? Their wives were probably like, "Please just feed us while you wait," <laughs> you know. They're probably trying to make a little money in the in between, and in that ordinary moment, Jesus shows up. He's always first. He's always first in our times of uncertainty. He is present, and he's always first. I am learning. I am learning that this season in my life. To watch those signs of stress in me, fear, insecurity, frustration. And now I'm learning that there are little whispers from Jesus. Mm-hmm. Pull back, back. Mm-hmm. pull back, mm-hmm. I'm here. And I'm learning now to leave the stressful situation as <clears throat> as gracefully as I can and to find a quiet moment and get my Bible and just say, Jesus, I don't know. And I tell you every single time I do, there he is. I got a word. And not only a word, practical help for the next thing you're supposed to do. So what I love about Jesus is how personal he is, right? He shows up. He says, I'm here. He gives us those stressors. He doesn't take those away because they're, they're actually whispers of his love. Come on back again. This is... Come on back. And then when we do, he gives us practical help. It happened just a couple this just this week. And I said, Jesus, I'm starting, I'm starting to go fuzzy minded. I'm starting to get irritable. I'm starting to, I can just tell. Like, and Jesus said, Come on. And then in then it was really cute. It was, it was like with my family, and then it was like, here, this is what this one needs. This is okay, okay. And then you go out with a new sense. And I think that time it took like five minutes, right? It's not like we had to labor, go through steps, or it was just like this. Jesus, yes, here's what to do. I love that He calls them children. Uh, there is a tenderness, and some translations say friends, but um, I think that I think the Greek is really children. There is a tenderness, and you know, this was Peter. These are grown men, right? But He said, "I'm going to take care of you." And as you begin to take care of my church, I am going to take care of you. I will take care of you. There's a tenderness. And then he gives the way forward. When they had toiled all night. And doesn't it feel a little bit like we've been toiling? And Jesus says, come back into my presence. Come back into my presence. I am here in this moment, 2023, November of 2023, while war breaks out all around us, while elections amaze us and horrify us, Jesus says, I am here. And I'm calling you, I am calling you children, and I am making a way forward. And the beautiful thing is, it will be personal for all of us. There's not a Titus Women way, there's not a, it is, he will will design it for each one of us. And that's the beauty he needs each wherever you are whatever your history whatever your past whatever it is he needs you right now right where you are and then he wants from he wants to get into your corner of the world through your life and that, so that's why he comes and then this is a funny thing Peter does not recognize him so here's what I want to say let's listen to each other let's listen to each other because John was young at this moment and he both of them are, are, are watching, they're hearing the words, they know that this has already happened. I'm sure Peter's like, I think I've already done this before. Wait a minute, I think, it. but Peter is so blustery, he can't hear the voice of Jesus. And John's like, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, it's the Lord, yes. ladies. Let's listen to each other. And if your sister in Christ says, you know what, I think Jesus is moving over there, then let's say, "I okay, if he's moving, but well, we have to listen to one another, and sometimes it is the quieter, younger ones who say, I think I see him, and older ones or busy ones or ones that think we know everything, let's listen to each other so that we don't. And i love peter because he doesn't say no i don't think so he does not argue he does not argue right he all of a sudden he knows and then what does he do first of all he gets his clothes on it was funny as my grandfather was facing heaven and it was probably like eight years before he he died he said um crickets and, and i knew he was thinking about dying in heaven and he said you don't stride into the presence of God. No matter no matter how close you've been, you, you come, you come prepared. right? You come. And it was really interesting. I could watch his little face as it kind of took on an awe, like almost like a little boy, almost like a little boy saying, "We all come to him at that way. Let's be ready, as ready as we can be. Let's not just say, well, it doesn't." he's going to accept us however we are. Let's get our best. These are our days for getting our best on. You know, the, the poem, my favorite poem is George Herbert's poem, Prayer. And it is just a list of metaphors about prayer. And one of them says, heaven in ordinary, man well-dressed. Uh-huh. It's like he, Jesus puts his jeans on, and I put my best dress on somehow. As he said, I'm trying to relate to you, and I'm saying, I'm trying to... I'm trying to be beautiful for you. And somehow, in that, there's the humility of God and the very best we have to offer. Sometimes, our Christian, American Christianity, we're very lazy with the presence of God. We take Him for granted and whatever. And Jesus says, Yeah, don't come in your sweats. <laughs> Not really. He'll take us wherever we want, but in our hearts, right? That we are prepared like the ten virgins we are ready our lights are burning or sitting up late or watching he might be coming tonight he might be coming tonight and I'm ready I even have a little extra I'm waiting ladies whatever we have to do in our lives to put enough margin in that we're ready do it pay any price pay any price to have enough margin in your life that you are prepared if all of a sudden, Jesus. And we, we get there and we say, we're so busy. We were taking care of so many. We were serving the church and we were doing all the things. And we were trying, trying, trying. And Jesus says, I was coming. Are you ready? And I think when I um, started working with Titus, I said, cricket, margin. Put some margin in. Put some margin in the finances. Put some margin in your life. You have to have space to meet with Jesus. And I would call her when I took over she was the director before me when I took over she would say take your Bible up to the prayer room and get with Jesus and uh, lay aside the, all the details and of office work get with Jesus we want to be women who are prepared Peter took time to do it and then what did he do he jumped in and a hundred yards is kind of a lot to slip right it seems, okay it seems like a um, you know it's a football field right but there he was he jumped in and that's the thing he's saying we have to be wholehearted and that's been the message from Daniel from that's been the message all weekend all in wholehearted and I love this picture and this is this is kind of my picture kind of how I want us to go in it's the Lord he's coming and they're like well there are those women they're just jumping out of the boat. If he's there on the shore, how fast can I get to him? Wherever he's working in the world, that's where I want to be. And if he calls me to Timbuktu or he calls me somewhere out of my room, if he's there, I want to be there. So whatever it costs, how fast I can get there, I'm going right now. He's there. That's I love Peter's abandon. And he had every reason in the world at this moment to kind of say, uh-oh, I failed him. Uh-oh. Oh, what's he going to say? And I've met him with a group, but now what's he going to say? And he says, no, none of that. None of that. And he jumps in, and, uh, and then he, they all, finally, the, the, the others get there, and uh, they all come, and there is a table prepared. So he reenacts the call, and then he reenacts this feeding them, the feeding with the 5,000, the broken bread and the body, right? Yeah. He feeds them with himself. I have it already. I'm all ready for you. And uh, there is this sense that Jesus Jesus has prepared. He's prepared himself. The body has been broken. The blood has been shed. We are welcome to the table, the table of his life, and there he is. And then I love this that he says to Peter, why don't you bring some of your fish too? Bring some that you've caught, which may be this witness like, I will make you fishers of men. Bring more to the table. Bring some that you've brought. And I love Peter because single-handedly, right, it seems, he runs back to the boat, grabs the whole net. He must have had so much adrenaline. Like, it just feels such a... Now, I do have a son kind of like this, so I kind of get it, but drags the whole net. And then you just can kind of see him fumbling, like, how many fish do you want? Do you want... (laughs) Here's my offering. Here's my offering that I'm bringing to the table. And I think Jesus is saying to us, bring some with you, right? You didn't find them on your own. I told you where they were. (laughs) And I told you how to draw them to yourself, to draw them to me. Now bring them to the table to me as well. And that's what Peter does. And then there's this beautiful moment where they eat together. And I think what Jesus wants us to do is have that kind of intimacy, right? That kind of where, come have breakfast with me. Let's eat together the food I have prepared. I am the living bread, right? So that is that. Feed on me, and I think that's what he's saying. But then I want to. Then I want to. Um, I want to read the rest of the chapter because it gets even sweeter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, "Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these?" "Yes, Lord," you know that I love you. And Jesus said, "Feed my lambs." And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because it was three times. And Jesus asked him, uh, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourselves and went where you wanted. When you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Mm -hmm. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Mm -hmm. Then he said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Because of this, a rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain, what is that to you? You follow me. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. And we know that his testimony is true. And Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now what I love and I never noticed before until recently is that I think Peter and Jesus took a walk on the beach. Because at some point, he looks back, and John is following. And so I don't think this conversation happens along the circle, which I think is very sweet. So I think Jesus is saying to us, I want that face-to-face encounter. I have something to say to you. So he he gives the call. He then reenacts the the dinner, the fellowship. And then he said he really reenacts Peter's denial, but he transforms it right he transforms it and what does he say He says, first of all I want to have a face to face conversation and I want to know what's at the heart of the matter do you love me do you love me and I kind of like that Peter does not pretend that the love he has is the same as the love of Jesus right we've all heard that the word agape is what Jesus uses and Peter does not use that word back Peter knew Peter had seen the cross, I think from a distance, but he had seen the cross. He knew that the love Jesus had was not the love that he had. He knew. So I think it was really an act of humility to not claim that same word. You know I love you. And then listen to what Jesus says, feed my lambs. And the word is lambkins like little baby, little baby lambs. Feed my lambs. Jesus has been saying to my heart, Cricket, do you love me? Feed my little ones. Feed my little ones. He wants to have a face-to-face encounter with us. He wants us to be wholehearted and all in, but he wants the world to know him. So always our love for Jesus is to be an overflow that reaches other people. And at this moment, I think he wants us to be on the watch who are the little ones, Who are the little ones? And maybe not necessarily young in age, but I think that is really important. Who are the actual little ones that need to know Jesus? Because if Jesus can reach the little ones, they have so much more opportunity as they grow up. And uh, that is what he says to Peter first, right? Take care of the lambs. And then he says again, do you love me? And isn't it funny that he takes the denial of Peter and puts the love of Jesus, right? And each time there's healing. Irenaeus talked about recapitulation, that Jesus took into himself every part of our human life. And when our human life touched the life of God in Jesus, it was restored. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening here, right? Right. The love of Jesus, the agape love for Jesus over every denial, and that is healing. Mm-hmm. And there may be some here today even who just need to say, I just need the love of Jesus to cover that. And then it is recreated. And the Father sees us as wholly recreated. There is no like, well, back when she was not so good. or No, when he recreates us, he just sees us as a brand new bride, spotless. That's what he's doing right here for (laughs) Peter. And in that process of redeeming Peter, he's saying, and now I'm commissioning you for the world, which I think is beautiful. It's like, it's not like, Peter, I'm going to get you all ready to go, and then I'm going to give you my call. It's like, Peter, this isn't about you. (laughs) But actually, I want to invite you into my story, and as I heal and redeem you, then I'm going to give my life to the world through your life. So he says, do you love me? Take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep, pasture them, provide for them, take care of them. That's what he's saying. Who are our sheep, right? We love Jesus. Who are the ones that he wants us to take care of? And it could be in a caregiving role, in a witnessing role, in a serving role. It will be. Actually, it will be in all those ways right. for all of us. It will be in all those ways. And then the third time he says, Simon, of John, do you love me? And he he says, You know, you know. And Jesus says, um, feed my sheep. I love this face-to-face moment where he gives him, he recreates Peter, and then he gives him the, the call. This is my new call for your life. And it is on this man that the church will be built, right? And this happens in this moment. Take care of my little ones, feed my sheep, pasture my flock that's your job and to the one who had failed him most he gives this greatest responsibility and says this is the moment right and um, and I and then I love I love this tenderness and I love the recreation that's happening here but then there is also suffering and at this moment he says I'm going to tell you something and it's going to be hard because you love me and I love you And you're going to take care of mine. But uh, there is going to come a time when sorrow will come and suffering and persecution because of the name of Jesus. And you're not, it's going to be uncomfortable and you're not going to like it. (laughs) And uh, then he says, stay with me. Follow me. Walk with me. When the persecution comes, walk with me. I've already been through it once. And I came out victorious as a resurrected king. And I'll walk through it with you now. Just follow me. You don't have to make your way, you don't have to know the rules. You don't have to, you don't have to know anything. Just walk with me. Now I love the honesty that happens at this moment. I don't think this happens after the Spirit comes, but I do want to say there are moments we sit we, we shrink back from the cost. We say, Oh Jesus is she gonna have to suffer too? Or how's it gonna look like? Is there any other way? And um, I love Jesus because he he doesn't give Peter any excuses or any explanations. He says, I'm not gonna tell you, like Aslan, I'm not gonna tell you any other woman's story. I will only tell you yours, and it's going to involve suffering, follow me. Don't ask to know any other woman's story. Not your best friend, not your sister, not even your daughter. You just follow Jesus. And don't look around and don't look back. Or if you do look back, he'll tell you, eyes ahead. Eyes ahead. And there's a freedom that says. And John says, you know, he didn't say I was going to live until he came back. He simply told Peter follow me and that John repeats twice which I think is really telling that is the most important thing when suffering comes follow Jesus now we never talk about John and Acts together we're always talking about Luke and Acts but whoever put the Bible together put it here for a reason and this is what I think it is Peter's the end of this story and the very next story something happens Something happened on that beach, because in Acts 1, Peter is the leader, and he steps up, and he says, this is what we have to do. We have to pray. We have to replace Judas. We want a full number. The 12 tribes of Israel, we want a full number. We are claiming the purposes of God through Jesus Christ for this generation here, and he steps into that role. And then what happens on Acts 2? The Holy Spirit comes, poured out his spirit on the whole group of them. And then in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is pulled out. Peter addresses the crowd, and somehow he understands. You know, there's that intellectual understanding that comes when the Spirit comes, and all of a sudden he gets the story, and he gets their place in it. And he tells the whole story, and then he says, and you can be in the story too. And all of a sudden people are like, I'm going to be in. I want we've watched these days and we want to be where Jesus is and then what happens in chapter 3 Peter and John go to the temple and all of a sudden he says I don't have anything to give you except one thing one thing the name above every name and if he was enough for me he's enough for you and then and then what happens after that he gives his witness before the Sanhedrin he gives his witness to the leaders he gives his witness everywhere all the way up until he gets to chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, and they come in, and here is their sin. They kept back. They kept something back. And and Peter said, what are you doing? And he confronts that sin, and then all of a sudden, it's like with Ananias and Sapphira, all of a sudden there is a, um, all of a sudden the persecution comes. But Peter is established firmly as the leader of the Jerusalem church. And here's what I want to say. That encounter with Jesus on the beach transformed Peter and led him then into all that God had for him. And Peter didn't live the longest, and he was not even the most prominent in the book of Acts, and yet he was the one that really held that Jerusalem church together and then began sending people. And then what happens to the church? The, the, Jewish, the Jewish world is collapsing. The Roman Empire is splintering, and the little bodies of believers, like probably as many as around your table, or as Lydia, right? Little bodies of believers begin popping up and saying, let me tell you about Jesus. He's alive, and he's king, and he's coming again, and we need to get ready. And the world was changed. And that's our story. And I think that's what he's doing. Yeah, And he's saying the institutions are falling, the governments are falling, war is breaking. Are there any little groups of believers who would say, but I know that Jesus is alive and I'll share it. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, would you jump out of the boat? Would you meet me face to face? And then would you go and tell and tend my people, my little ones, take care of my sheep. And then when suffering comes, will you and ladies we get to follow him right into the heart of the father. So the good news the good news for his world is there's life and then there's more life resurrection life and that's what he invites us to and that's what he's inviting our whole his whole world to. I love Romans 2, right? It says when the whole body works together for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. And we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And then it goes through all of the grace, all the gifts. But it has this idea that we are all together in Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. It is very humbling the one who calls the son of Peter on the shore is calling to us and Jesus I just say we we are saying like Peter we're saying like John we think it's Jesus and we're like Peter or well, here we come and I pray that image of Peter abandoning all and jumping into the water to meet you face to face and to take whatever comes with Jesus I pray that that would be our who we are and the stance of our hearts. Jesus would you come do finish any unfinished work here? If there's anyone here Jesus that needs that needs either your recreation or needs to meet you face to face before they go, I pray they come and kneel at the cross. And I pray that you would help us Jesus to finish to say yes Lord we're all in so that we can step into the next part of your story. Thank you that you are alive. You're working in your world. You're saving in your world. And we worship you and we love you. In Jesus' name.